Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 32. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give a devil the foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, no longer but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as God forgave you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Right before we pray, uh, one last announcement uh, before we get into God's word. Uh, If you'll look in your bulletin to page 3, you'll notice uh, sort of in that lower right-hand corner, uh, there's some information in there about some more things that we're involved in doing and trying to do with uh, disaster relief along the coastal bend. And besides uh, praying and contributing money, there's opportunities to contribute uh, supplies. And, and also, uh, we're going to be sending another group of people to, uh, to the Houston area, to the impact area, some of our young people. Uh, this next weekend, before we meet again, we're going to have sent another group down, and they'll be on their way back by the time we meet next, uh, next week. And they're going down to help uh, with just any kind of relief efforts that they can. And uh, right outside this door here, you'll see an area as uh, you leave today where during this next week, you can donate goods that are listed on that third page of our bulletin. And uh, it's a great opportunity for those of us who are not going to be able to go down uh, anytime soon to be able to be a part and to contribute and, and all of that to the ongoing relief efforts. And as you know, uh, we've been collecting checks as well. Uh, you can do so online with the church app. Or you can give a check. I've, I've already received a, a check this morning, and Alan has already received a check as well from folks who are continuing, continuing to give to help uh, folks out that have just been devastated by, by Hurricane Harvey. And uh, even though this is a, a distance uh, from, from where we live, we want to pray for all of those folks on the East Coast and in Florida and Georgia and those areas that uh, are uh, facing Irma right now and those that already face some of, uh, some of that great storm strength, we want to be mindful of them as well. And before we pray, uh, while we're talking about this disaster relief, we have some folks from Western Heights in Sherman, Texas, who are worshiping with us this morning after returning from Houston. They're on their way back home after spending some time down there uh, uh, helping folk and, and with the relief efforts. We'd like to get you folks to stand and be recognized. Thank you very much, and Godspeed and safety as you go back to Sherman. 
Let's ask God to bless us as we get ready to study this last passage from Ephesians chapter 4. Father, sometimes we're just so overwhelmed by the way that you're good to us, the way that you love us. More often than not, we're, we're just absolutely stunned and astonished at your patience with us. You are mighty, and not just mighty in, in raw strength, but you are, you are mighty in your power to save. And you are mighty in your power to forgive and to forgive completely. And for this, Father, we give you praise, and we are so honored that you would love us in this way, that we dedicate our lives as disciples, Father, to walking in the steps of your Son, Jesus, and learning what it means to forgive, and to forgive thoroughly and in a way, Father, that when people see that, that, that skill, that virtue, that, that that ability to forgive, Father, that they begin to get an inkling, to get a sense that the complete forgiveness that you extend to us through the blood of Christ, that that is a reality. So bless us, Father, with, with eyes to see and ears to hear as we study this, this for the last time, this passage in Ephesians 4. And help us, Father, in all that we do to reflect your presence in our life. In this we pray, in the name of Christ, amen. There's a story that took place a long time ago. It's a fella that was bit by a rabid dog. And he went to the doctor. Sure enough, the dog was tested. The dog had rabies. The man was tested. The man had rabies. And this was done at a time before there was a vaccine and before there was a cure for rabies. So the doctor comes in with sort of a sullen face, has to give this gentleman who's been bitten by this rabid dog the bad news, that not only does he have rabies, but it's terminal and it's incurable. And after a moment, the man kind of gets his composure and he asks for a pen and a piece of paper. And he begins to write very feverishly all of this stuff on this piece of paper. The doctor watches for a minute and he walks out. A few minutes later, he comes back into the room to check on the man, sees the guy is still writing, just writing, 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 writing. And he says, I, you know, I, I, I don't know how to say this, but I just want to commend you for putting this will together in such a, such a, uh, a, a terrible time and, and for getting your, your affairs in order. And the, the, the guy looked up at him and said, well, this ain't no will. This is just a list of the people I want to bite. <laughs> you know, how many of you know somebody that have in their mind a list of the faces of the people they want to punch? Hold that thought. <laughs> Everybody seems to have a thought like that, right? For the last several weeks, we've been looking at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. begins in verse 22, goes down to verse 32, and at the end of it, it's going to be talking about uh, forgiveness. But the heart of this passage is in this phrase right here. You're supposed to take off the old self and put on the new self. That's Paul's instructions to the church in Ephesus. Once he has told them all the wonderful and great things that have happened to them because of the love of God, the love of Christ, and the presence of the Spirit, this is what happens to you. You're not just saved, and you're not just forgiven, but you're to be a changed individual. From the inside out, you take off the old self, that old way of thinking, that old way of, of living, the old habits, 
the old value, and you put on the new self. And that new self is about developing the character of God, that when people look at your life as a disciple of Jesus, they get an idea of what God is like. And so in this list that follows that statement there at the beginning of, uh, in verse uh, 23 and 24 of Ephesians 4, he begins to talk about some practical ways that your life gets readjusted. He says, you know, when you become a disciple of Jesus, one of the things that happens is that as, as a human being, you put a high priority in living in genuine, authentic honesty. That you speak the truth, uh, you speak the truth uh, lovingly to your neighbor. That you speak in such a way that people know that you honor the truth in your life. In another place, he says, you know, speak the truth in love to each other. He also says, there's a way that you can demonstrate anger that it does not become sinful And there's a way that that you can be angry in the world and it not be sin nor give an opportunity for the the evil one to get a toehold into your life. He also says that, you know, when you become a disciple of Jesus, one of the practical things that happens is that you change. You sort of, instead of being a taker, you become a giver. You learn to be a giver and not a taker. And he says literally that those who are stealing should steal no longer, but with the two hands that God has given them and the talents that God has given them, they should learn to do something useful with those hands in order to contribute to those who are in need. And then he says, you know, this speech thing is not just about honesty and not telling lies and speaking truthfully in love to others, but it's also learning how to speak in such a way that you build people up, that you begin to benefit them with your words. That your words have the kind of impact on people's life that it encourages them, it blesses them, it directs them, it helps them, it helps them to grow up, and that's the way you're supposed to use your language. And he says, you know, I know this is sort of difficult. Not everybody's going to be able to make all of those changes quickly, and some it's going to take a very long time, but that's why you need to give the, the Holy Spirit some space to kind of intervene into your life to help enact all of those readjustments that are taking place as you put on that new self. And last week he said, you know, it's not just about doing kind things and doing compassion. It's about being a kind person and about being compassionate. That doing kind things is not supposed to be random. It's supposed to reflect your character. Being kind and compassionate reflects the core value of who you are that as a person of god a a disciple of jesus that's who you are in 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 the heart of hearts and then he says he's going to end it up with forgiveness this morning but there's this great quote by ellie holcomb Uh, many of you maybe know her music she says one of the important things to remember about what the gospel does is this that god did not come to make bad people good he came to make dead people alive and that's what the book of ephesians is about is this this is what god does to change the course of your life that this is what he does in order to make you look like the child you were always intended to be and so one of the reasons that he gives this practical list in ephesians 4 is to help believers people like you and me regardless of what age we live in to understand this really important fact about our life in Christ, and it's this. A disciple lives an unambiguous life. A disciple of Jesus lives an unambiguous life. How many times have you been driving down the roads here in San Antonio, and you're driving along, and all of a sudden somebody does something a little bit crazy in their driving, and the person that the craziness is perpetrated on 
they give them some kind of an obscene gesture or they lay down on that horn or they do something and you go, wow, this is getting serious. And then you look down and there's the name of their church on a bumper sticker. Or you see a, a, a sticker of that fish on the back of their windshield. You know, I, you know, I'm not against bumper stickers. But here's the thing. Don't depend on a bumper sticker to tell people that you're a disciple of Jesus. We need, we need to be able to live and even drive on places like 410 and 1604 in such a way that people know that we're saints. And that's one of the hardest things in the world to do at times is because we are in that process of being turned into a, a likeness of Jesus. The life that you're called to live, the character you are called to exhibit, the words you are called to, to speak are to reflect the nature of God. Paul will say it this way in another place. It's about Christ being formed in you. Therefore, as he ends this passage we've been looking at, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. If we're reflecting the image of God, does anyone think that God is bitter? That God is seriously bitter in the greatness and the beauty and the holiness of heaven. To be bitter means that you're holding somebody liable for some wrong that they have committed against you, or something that you love, or somebody that you love, but you're holding them liable because they've done something to hurt you or to hurt somebody that you really care a lot about. It, it's saying, I can't relate to you anymore in the way that I used to relate to you because of this thing that you have done. Now, if God is bitter, how do you explain the cross? And if you understand the cross, then how can you explain anything trumping forgiveness god is not bitter god is not angry god does not brawl god does not slander god is not malicious god forgives and that's not to say that the forgiveness is easy you know when when young couples come in uh, from time to time for premarital counseling we, we say to them that one of the most underdeveloped, underutilized skills that a human being has in the world today is the skill to forgive people. And it's not easy, and it's, it, it's all, most of the time it's just really tough. But it is one of the skills that you need, not only as a human being, but especially as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Sometimes when we have couples coming in, or people who are kind of at each other, and they've been at each other for a long time, and they come in and first 30 minutes as they're sitting in the office, you know, there's the he said, she said, she said, he said, he said, she said, and you listen about 30 minutes and it's just so convoluted and so tangled up and you just stop them and you say, you know, here's the deal. Regardless of how thin you slice that bread, there's always going to be two sides. And sometimes things become so complicated and there are just so many hurts and so many, you know, and regardless, even if you had a videotape running all of the facts in front of you, you're going to have different interpretations of it. You know the, what the bottom line is? You can't, you can't sort it out. Only God can. That's why you need to forgive each other. 
That's why you need to forgive. Forgiveness is not easy, and forgiveness is tough. But to not forgive and to not develop that skill in your life is going to bring the bad stuff into your relationships and into your, your, your life and into your body. And so in the time that we have left this morning, I just want to go over some of the dynamics of marriage. And one of the most famous pieces of Scripture in the entire New Testament dealing with forgiveness is found in Matthew chapter 18. It's about a 15-sentence uh, uh, or 15-verse parable that we usually call the parable of the unmerciful servant and it starts like this peter one of the one of the head apostles later on he's in his process of becoming a disciple and learning about jesus in matthew chapter 18 and he comes to jesus one day and he asks this very important question he asked in verse 21 lord how many times shall i forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times now this, this, this it sounds so trivial, you know, all these numbers. But notice that Peter is not talking about a one-time offense. What he's asking is, what do you do about someone who just keeps going and going and going and going and hurting your feelings or offending you or doing some sin against you? And he says, seven times? And the reason he asked that it's because the rabbis during this period of time are saying, you know what, when it comes to this kind of ongoing offense, you only, you only need to forgive that person three times. Forgiveness had a limit, according to the rabbis. And it wasn't because they just picked this number out of the air. They said, you know, if somebody keeps doing the same thing to you over and over, over again, by the third time, it usually reveals the fact that they don't have a repentant heart. And so in Peter's mind, to forgive seven times is just the epitome of forbearance. But Jesus has a, a, a different way of living in mind. And he blows Peter's mind. He says, I tell you this, not seven times, but 77 times. You know, Peter's saying, you know, and the number seven is, you know, this really biblical number. And it just means sort of just, you know, on and on. And, and, and Jesus says, no, 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 double sevens. That's what Peter hears. Forgiveness is not about numbers unless that number is infinity. Remember the old arguments that we'd have as kids? You know, I, I hate you. Why? Well, I, I hate you more. I hate you most. I hate you twice that. I hate you three times that. I hate you times infinity. Remember those games? That's kind of where Jesus is headed with this thing. Forgiveness reveals something breathtaking about the character of God. And the parable continues with this great king. He's doing an audit of his kingdom, and he discovers that one of his high-ranking employees has squandered this inconceivable amount of money. Now, the amount that, that Jesus gives is 10,000 talents. Now, a talent represented 20 years of wages for just a, a regular day laborer. So doing the math, of which I'm not a math major, that comes out to 200,000 years of salary it's an inconceivable amount of money and the loss is a threat it's it's a great threat to that kingdom and to that king this loss is a threat to dismantle the kingdom so the king is going to dismantle the employee's family and everything that's dear to him he says this is what's going to happen to you because you have threatened our our nation 
and, and to dismantle it with this loss, guess what? We're going to dismantle. We're going to dismantle your family. Your wife and your kids are not going to be killed. They're going to be sold into slavery. And they're going to travel in these far off worlds. And we're going to put you in prison. And guess what you're going to do in prison? You're going to have time to think and to think and to think because you're going to have nothing else to do. But you're going to think about the misery of your wife and your kids in a faraway land in slavery and a life of drudgery. But then the servant falls to his knees. And he begs, verse 26, be patient with me. And I'm going to pay everything back. And the most amazing thing happens. The inconceivable amount of the debt is met with an inconceivable amount of grace. And the king has pity. He cancels the debt. And he lets this guy go. When you think about justice, justice is getting what you deserve. You lose everything, family dismantled, you're off to prison for the rest of your life. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. That is, I, I don't have to pay back you know, through, through this punishment what it is that I owe. But grace is getting what I don't deserve, and that is the freedom from the debt. And if the parable was to stop right there and Jesus didn't say another word, the lesson would be this, and it'd be a great lesson. You could spend the rest of your life thinking about it, but the lesson would be this. God's forgiveness is so great as to be inconceivable. God's forgiveness goes further than endless. Which, Brother Peter, is more than seven. But the parable doesn't end right here, does it? important question I think we ask before we go on. How did that employee squander that money? Was he inept? Bad decisions? Didn't pay attention to the bottom line to the Excel spreadsheet? Or was it because he was downright wicked and evil? Well, Jesus continues the story by saying that this employee left the king's presence He went straight to a colleague, and number one, he begins to strangle him and to choke him. And before we even know why he's upset, he begins to to strangle this guy and to put him in in a headlock and to choke him. And then he says, you need to pay me what you owe me. Turns out it's a little bit, it's just a little bit of money. This colleague says, verse 29, be patient with me and I will pay it back. I mean, where have we heard those words before? But the wicked servant refused to, give his co- to, to forgive his colleague, and he has him thrown in jail. Now, the, the king, all of this is, is done outside the king's presence, but it's done publicly. And there are these other colleagues and these other state workers that kind of see what's going on. These other employees become outraged, and they let the king know what happened, and the king is not happy in the least. And the king calls this servant in, but notice that this time he refers to him as the wicked servant. He calls him wicked. He knows now that this guy did not squander that inconceivable amount of money because he was inept or because he was dumb or because he didn't know what he was doing. He did it because he had a wicked heart. Which brings us to another lesson of the parable. That those who have been forgiven much should forgive much. Here's this fellow that has been forgiven 200,000 
years of his yearly income. And yet, his rough and pugnacious treatment of his fellow servant's minor debt on the heels of being forgiven everything reveals that the king's grace, the king's forgiveness, has not penetrated this man's heart and had not readjusted his character in the least. Now you would think that being forgiven everything would have easily unblocked forgiveness in the heart of this, this individual, that forgiveness would be easily extended to others. But it didn't. Remember what we said earlier. You know, forgiveness is not about numbers. Forgiving others is the fruit, the readjustment to your heart. For, it's, 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 it's the fruit of being forgiven a tremendous amount in your life. It's being forgiven so much that you would never be able to quantify it at all. To be forgiven by God is not just to be forgiven of everything that you've ever done, but it's also to be forgiven of the very fact that you're the kind of individual that can bring these kinds of acts, these kinds of crimes, these kinds of sins into the world, this kind of wickedness onto the planet. We've said this before, that the center of lostness is not where you're going, where you're headed. At the center of lostness is who you are. And this is what, quite frankly, why so many find forgiveness nearly impossible. I think one of the best ways that I've heard it says from the book um, Exclude and Embrace by a guy on the East Coast by the name of Miroslav Volf. He says, Forgiveness flounders when I exclude the enemy from the community of humans. And I exclude myself from the community of sinners. This is why forgiveness is difficult. But last point, forgiveness is difficult, but it's a possible process. Look at verse 27 again. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. There are three things that happen in that verse. The first is that the king had pity on this guy that had a debt that he could never pay back. To, to have pity on somebody means that you somehow identify with who this person is who's in front of you. That you recognize that it could be you. You recognize that this is a person that's never going to dig their way out. You, you recognize that this is a human being in need of forgiveness in the exact same way that you need forgiveness. And then he does this tremendously hard but important second thing. It's he canceled the debt. To forgive is technically an accounting term. It means you open up the Excel spreadsheet, there's a debt in one of the columns, and you hit the delete button and you erase it. But it means more than that. To forgive doesn't mean just to erase something. It also means to absorb. When, when there is a debt... Somebody always has to pay. Somebody does something wrong to you, they hurt your feelings, they hurt your kid, they hurt your spouse, something happens, and you just want to make them pay. You want a pound of flesh. You want to, to destroy their character. You want to punch them in the face. You've got rabies and you want to bite them. But you choose not to. But you choose not to. And what you decide is that you want, you want to absorb 
the payment yourself. The king, in this parable, could have seized all the property and all of the assets, but he chose instead to suffer the debt himself. Now, forgiveness is not, it's not synonymous with reconciliation. It's hard to reconcile unless there's repentance. But forgiveness is a counterintuitive act to bring peace where there is conflict. And then he lets him go. That's the third thing he does. He lets him go. In other words, he gives him his freedom and he allows him to go forth in his life sort of like a new man, free from the debt that he owes because of his crimes and because of his mistakes. Forgiveness in our world is an act of godly defiance in the face of hateful violence. And I'm, I'm never going to say that forgiveness is an easy thing to do, especially when the emotions have been ratcheted up and, and, and there's all kinds of things that have been ramped up in our memories. Forgiveness is never, ever, ever, ever going to be an easy thing. It's going to be tough to do, but there's something in developing the character of a person who forgives in light of how much they've been forgiven that helps people to understand the reality that there is a God who can forgive them of everything through the cross of Christ, who absorbed the price himself. One thing in conclusion, to not forgive brings grave consequences. The, the parable, I think, ends in, in a very truthful and realistic note. The, the lack of little forgiveness in the face of experiencing inconceivable forgiveness shows that the forgiveness that had been received from the king had not really penetrated his heart and had changed him or readjusted him in any way. And so at the end of the parable, Jesus says, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be what? To be what? To be what? Tortured. Until he should pay back all he owned. You know, you know, to not forgive, think for a moment about people that you have known that have not really done the hard work of forgiveness or have never gotten to a place where they feel like they have forgiven someone, and maybe that's you. But doesn't it seem, doesn't it look, doesn't it appear like that person is in a little bit of a prison themselves? And there is something torturous about not forgiving and having that loop in your mind play over and over and over and over again. That crime, that, that, that painful experience, that thing that was said to you, the thing that was said about you, the thing that was unjust. Something torturous about not forgiving others. And then he says in verse 35... This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. To not forgive as a disciple of Jesus, having been made so by the forgiveness of God, carries eternal consequences. To not forgive is to forfeit forgiveness. There is something oh so important, church, when it comes to learning how to forgive other people. 
I mean, people that come into our church family from time to time and, and, and see forgiveness can believe that if forgiveness can happen at this, this, this horizontal level, then maybe it's possible, because I've never seen forgiveness like this in my life, maybe, just maybe, it's possible that the God in this, this, uh, this vertical relationship can actually forgive me. If the forgiveness of God has impacted their life and penetrated their lives to this degree that they forgive each other everything, that they forgive each other just like in Christ God has forgiven them, then maybe there's something to the gospel. Maybe there is something about being forgiven and having that conscience cleared and the guilt being removed. And how many times does it just feel like you've become a new person because you felt a little bit of relief? Remember those times when, when there might have been a sore on your body and was lanced and there was that relief or there was, there was something, some mistake that you thought you had made and it was going to cost a lot of money or it was going to hurt somebody and you realized that it wasn't going to happen, you felt that relief? And what happens when you feel that relief? You say, you know what, I kind of like this relief. This is the way that I want to live at all times. There's something about that forgiveness and the relief of coming out from under that guilt that just makes you want to be a new person. But we have to understand, we have been forgiven an inconceivable amount of forgiveness. And when we ponder that, it's not really about forgiving because, you know, to not forgive means that I'm not going to be forgiven. But it's because I've been so changed by the blessing of God's grace in my life and the changes that have been wrought because of His Spirit coming into me and His Word and the salvation and just being free that I look at, at people that need to be forgiven and I just go, who else would want to live any other way than to be a person who forgives? especially knowing what we owe. You know, people talk about, you know, those of us who preach and teach and these kinds of things as being scholars. You know, I don't ever feel like I'm much of a scholar in anything except one thing. And in this room right now, I'm the number one scholar, and that is what God has done in my life. I know without a shadow of a doubt. And what I know is that I have been forgiven more than I could ever forgive someone else. And I am grateful. I am grateful for that experience. We're going to sing a song. Brad's going to lead us in a song right now. We call this time the invitation time. And the invitation is this morning... If you have never received the forgiveness of God, we're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk about how you, how you bring that forgiveness of God into your own life. It becomes an experience of His grace that saves you not only from every wrong thing you ever did, but saves you from being the kind of person that you are and changes you. And forever and ever, you're in His presence, beginning the day you receive it through faith, sins being washed away in baptism and choosing to live a different life. Or it might be that there are some things that have just happened in your life and you just need some help in getting past the pain to the place where you can forgive. And if that describes you this morning, and I, I don't know what's going on in your heart or what your experiences have been, but what I do know is that forgiveness, as hard as it is, works a blessing into your life. And if there's some ways that we can help you with that, come down to the front and Talk to me or talk to one of the shepherds down here at the front. 
while the rest of us stand and praise God for the forgiveness we have received. Let's praise God together. Oh, to be like thee.